It's time for the March 25th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on this foggy Greek Independence Day here at the University of California at Irvine in the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And as always, the pause that refreshes <laughs> Muller, the fake news dog. <laughs> there he is you again. You know, let's, let's just give credit where credit is due. What? He can really belt that out when he needs to. He really, like, he's a performer. He steps up every uh-huh. time for that That's opening. A, yeah, he's a great uh, guy. I, yeah. Good guy, Mahler. Good guy. <laughs> yeah, good guy. Uh, today we'll be talking about supersized goldfish, bugs in the trees, plastic in your blood, getting high on toads, and then some. All those things right mm-hmm. here on this show. Mm-hmm. But first, what's the biggest cat you've ever encountered, Mike? Hmm. Biggest cat I've ever encountered. I've never seen a mountain lion. Oh. I don't think I've... I must have seen a lion in a zoo. That would be it. But I don't even really remember that. Yeah. So I, I I don't have a good answer for that. Huh. What about yourself? Oh, I was uh, at my house uh, when I first moved here to Irvine. Yeah. And I heard this thump outside the window. <laughs> and I look up because it, it was a window above my head. Uh-huh. And it happened to, if you say if you were a mountain lion and standing right there, you could look in. Okay. And that's what was going on. It was a mountain lion who was standing right there looking in at me. It was at night. And he was lit or she was lit by the light of the room going through the window. And, of course, I was all lit up. And we met eyes for quite a while. And it was scary. Yeah. Scary. Is is a mountain lion inherently dangerous? Like it wouldn't no. attack you if you well, if you were to, and unless you were to present a threat to it, right? Yeah, it's that's not the kind of thing. Yeah, okay. From the Orange County Register, a mountain lion tried to enter a Irvine hair salon. <laughs> this probably wanted a color and cut. That's all I think. You know, I, <laughs> the cat was spotted outside Bishop's Salon at Sand Canyon Plaza. Okay. That's near the Sand Canyon Post Office where I get my where I have my PO box there. Mm-hmm. So it was right there. It's right where I usually go. And there's a mountain lion running across the streets of Irvine. I just heard commotion outside and I just looked up and all of a sudden I just see this lion coming out of nowhere. An employee named Ruckus said. Ruckus. Ruckus, okay. yeah. Kind of like a racket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A ruckus and a racket were going on. The mountain lion tried to enter the hair salon, but the receptionist closed the door on him, causing the animal to slam up against the glass window, contact his lawyer, and then run away. <laughs> it was it was crazy. The two-year-old lion was eventually captured, sedated, and taken to Sereno Hospital, the animal hospital there, mm-hmm. close by, for evaluation, and later was released into the wild. So, yeah. Well, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but th- that's kind of across the street from the more rural part of Irvine, is it? Well, not? Is it kind it's, of? Part of, it's across the street uh, from a golf course. Strawberry Fields, right? I don't know what Strawberry Fields is. I, it's, it's Oak Glen Golf Course, I think. Okay. I think I'm not sure okay. what Strawberry Fields is, except in New York and England. They're 
there is a golf course at Irvine that's I right, know. right off of Sand Canyon or near Sand Canyon. No, okay. Anyway, anyway. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, you know best, Mike. You Strawberry tell me where Farms. it came from. Strawberry Farms. I'm Strawberry. sorry. Oh. No, that's up by Quail Hill. Okay. You're wondering where Strawberry Farms is. That's a, uh, if you go up uh, University okay. and up there, we're yeah. at the intersection of Mickelson and University. But, there's Strawberry Farms. Okay. Yeah. All right. According to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, in recent years, people and mountain lions are bumping into each other more. That's because people are intruding. Right. Well, yeah, and they're mobile and all yeah, that yeah, stuff, and right. mountain lions are are uh, roaming creatures. Mountain lions are solitary and elusive and typically avoid people by nature. They just don't want to be around us. But sometimes they wander onto a golf course and find a flood control channel. That's what I'm thinking happened mm -hmm. there. Because, mm -hmm. what, you ever been in a flood control channel or anything like that? Yes, I it's have. It's easy to get around. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's very convenient if you know, yeah, you know yeah. the route. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um, yeah. That's how I used to travel yeah. when I was a kid. You get in a flood control channel and you get somewhere real quick, yeah. no traffic. Just had to watch out for the cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you ever encounter a mountain lion, here are some easy rules to follow. Thank you. You're Paying attention there, Mahler? Mahler, yeah. Yeah? Uh, he doesn't want to run no. into him. Right? No. Never approach the lion. Uh, give them a way out, an escape route. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like what we're doing with Putin right now. <laughs> it <You> is. Know? <laughs> Don't run. Stay calm. Don't turn your back. Face the lion. Uh, and uh, you make noise. That's right. You face the line, you make noise, but you move slowly. Right? Okay. That's the one I added in there. Because okay. you don't want to go, you know, jump up and down and do a, a, a Vegas routine for the line. Right. Although right. it might distract them. Well. Confuse a cat. Yeah. I don't think you want to jerk around yeah, too much. Yeah, exactly. They might just yeah. want to bite you. Gesticulate. And you try to look bigger. That's what you do with bears. And that yeah, everything you try to look bigger. Well, I've Because they been think doing you're that tall. My whole life story, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you do, do you put your hands over your head all the time? I mean, that's one way to look Not bigger generally, than these but, it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. What you but my would envision kind of doing one of those where you're kind of cr not a crouch, but you put your arms into yeah. the side to make your your wingspan look bigger and more. But I just put them to the side. I wouldn't move anything in front uh, to yeah. the line, okay. but that would just me. And you don't crouch down or bend over. Oh, now I get the crouch down. I guess the bending over is the same thing, same but thing. yeah. yeah. I don't know what the lion's going to do, bite your butt. <laughs> you got all that, Mahler? Yeah. He's cool yeah, with the mountain yeah, lions. Yeah. Man. Yeah, you don't want to do refescent re ass. Yeah. yeah. Refescent. Yeah, refescent. Thank you. Yeah. You got to work that in. Sorry. That wasn't that funny. Well, I wasn't trying to be funny, was I it? Was, I, was, I hope not. I, was, I hope it wasn't trying to be funny. No, no. Don't monkeys do that? They sh it's called red ass, right? When they are in, in it. The monkeys call it red ass. Yeah, well, they yeah they do. They call it red ass. Huh. No, when in, when when a monkey or a I think a monkey is calls angry. it rufescent. Rufescent ass. Yeah, yeah get out of here. I'm going to uh, give you a ref, yeah rufescent ass. All right, we're gonna we're gonna That's find right. out what 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 big things you've seen this today, <laughs> Mike. So besides a rufescent <laughs> uh, buttocks, what's the biggest fish you've ever seen? I went whale watching a couple of times. So you've seen a whale? I've seen a whale. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you go out those whale watching things. Yeah. You don't see a whale. Well, that, that was one experience. Oh, right. I pretty right. much saw, you know, a couple of dolphins. 
But uh, I did see a whale yeah. a couple of times. I yeah. saw a whale once. Okay. He was swimming right next to me. I was onshore. He was just offshore. Oh, wow. And he was doing everything that a whale would do. Yeah, spouting yeah. and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, spouting. And I was with a friend wow. who wasn't on LSD. <laughs> and I, I said, is, is that a whale <laughs> that I'm seeing there? And he yeah. said, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you needed confirmation. Well, I needed confirmation. You know, yeah, I, mean, I understand. You know, like, <laughs> like, oh, wow, there's a whale. Hmm. <laughs> I saw Porky Pig today, too, and I know that wasn't real. <laughs> But yeah, that was wow. That was so. Real. It was doing the dance and a whole and... long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it was just there wow. uh, in Laguna. We were down in Laguna. Yeah, uh, forget it. I could get you to the beach, but it was near a Thousand Steps, that general area. Yeah, from Scientific American, supersized goldfish could become super invaders. Super <sighs> invaders, Mahler. Yeah, yeah. Mahler would just chase them off. No need to worry here. Big fat goldfish who have grown up to three pounds. A three pound goldfish. Wow. That's like a trout. That's that's uh that's an entree. Yeah. These gold trout will thrive in the conditions expected with climate change. They originated they, you know, the goldfish themselves originated in East Asia. Uh but Mahler snucks them in and now they're everywhere. <laughs> that's that's what happened. Oh. No, not really. <laughs> Just kidding about that. Don't worry, Mahler. Not talking about you. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, these giant goldfish are bad news in, well, any goldfish is bad news in uh, a new water world that they enter. They're just not good. They're, they're just not nice people. They're good, not good for the environment. They have a, such a sterling reputation with, you know, young people. Yeah. They got a goldfish. Well, that's well, great. they're in they're a really, bowl. Yeah, they're in a bowl. They can't get out and yeah. mangle they're, people, yeah. right? Yeah. But... They're messy eaters. That's yeah. kind of the number one thing. Okay. They gulp mouthfuls of fine sediment from lake and river bottoms, okay. swirl it around, spit it out in a mud cloud, and then suck in whatever food food falls out. That's how they eat. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a messy way to eat. This bad behavior uproots plants and makes the water murky. So less light filters in to the aquatic plants, mm -hmm. and they die off. In other words, goldfish engineer their habitat in ways that make it worse for other species that catch prey by sight or depend on sunlight. Uh, though invasive goldfish have had a long presence in North America, their populations in stormwater ponds and some harbors in the Great Lakes have sharply increased in the past decade, and they have evolved a special met metabol <laughs> metabolic system that can sometimes enable them to survive up to five months without oxygen. Five months without oxygen. That's crazy. Five months without oxygen. Wow. Scientists worry that this ability will give goldfish a competitive advantage over native species as global warming causes oxygen levels in lakes and rivers to decrease. Right. So we might just have an ocean filled with uh, goldfish. Well, not ocean, but... Well, we'll have s we'll have some sort of body of boiling water off the coast of the continents yeah. that will have nothing but goldfish in it. You think? I don't uh, know if they're saltwater goldfish. Well, okay. But they taste like whatever they're fed. Okay. That's what I kept reading in this article. I kept wondering, well, we got this big fish. Yeah. Take lemons. Yeah. Make a lemonade. Lemon, yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 So they taste like whatever they, they're fed. Yeah. It's like most fish. Yeah. And that's why they don't taste good, because they're usually just fed they're, fish yeah, flakes, yeah, whatever exactly. the heck that is. Exactly. 
So I say we feed them almonds and blackberries. <laughs> I, th I like that idea. Yeah. May I suggest licorice? Licorice? Yeah, licorice. You like licorice? I do like licorice and oh. licorice flavored fish. Licorice flavored fish. It sounds I don't know. Not easy to say, to but me. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think if, I like you know, that. If I'm, I'm going down the I'm fish going... aisle at the supermarket yeah. and one of them says licorice fish, that's not going to be the one I put in my cart. Well, on my way home today, I'm buying a, a <laughs> case of locker pool and, oh, yeah? and, and a goldfish. I'm going to see what happens. By the way, can we do that product? Can we plug products here? We can. Locker pool? Locker roll. I'm sorry. Locker roll. Locker roll. The original licorice flavored pastille. Yeah. Locker roll. Endorsed by the co hosts of Weekly Signals. I have a locker roll every morning before <laughs> our show, and I feel great. And Nathan is kind enough to share a locker roll with me every Friday morning, so that, is, that accounts for the erratic behavior. <laughs> this, makes, this makes you gasp for air. May I recommend a donation to KUCI to help you oxygenate? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI, 88.9 FM. Very nice, Mahler. Nice touch. Speaking of big things, mm -hmm. what's the biggest desert you've ever seen? <sighs> Gotta go with the Mojave. <laughs> this isn't, you're not on a No, a I mean, I, mean I, I, have, I've, I've not spent a lot of time the in, desert. Yeah. in a yeah. lot of deserty areas. And There's uh, the Great Basin one. That's Utah, if you've yeah. ever been up in that area. Yeah. And you have, you've traveled through the Great Basin. Yeah, that's true. That's the biggest uh, yeah, one. Yeah, that is. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. From Los Angeles Times, for decades, scientists assumed California's Colorado Desert, which stretches from eastern San Diego County into Imperial Valley and up to Joshua Tree National Park, would be able to withstand the effects of climate change. Because... It's a desert. Yeah, and everything there should be able... Pretty tough, you know? Yeah. It gets hot, they'll just kind of... I think know, that's what most, most people are thinking when they think of climate emergency, climate change, climate damage, is it's going to get hotter. Yeah. So hence, it would seem like the deserts would be pre better prepared for that sort of thing. But scientists aren't thinking that way now. Okay. The climate crisis has hit Anza Borrega Desert State Park. Streams are disappearing, plants shriveling, animals are desperate for nourishment. Park officials headquartered in Borrega Springs are now scrambling to get baseline data for places like San Felipe Creek, which in recent years has dried up along several miles of Highway 78. So they want to know how bad it's getting. They need some baseline right now. I used to go to Anza Borrega on a regular basis uh, every year. My dad's buddy from high school would put on a little golf tournament at a place called Warner Hot Springs. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where you have to go buy. You don't go into so much Anza Borrega, but we used to drive it's along the It's a great place. It's yeah. a, a fine desert that you don't think of that often. Yeah. There's, uh, there's of course, Joshua Tree, but Anza Borrega. Yeah. Remember Carl Dietrich? Yes. That was one of his favorite places. Oh, is that right? Always take his sons up there every year. Same okay. same thing that you had happen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. These southwestern Cienegas, that's the, the uh, San Felipe Creek. Hmm. A Cienega are not only 
home to native amphibians. They also serve as watering holes for deer, skunks, bobcats, bighorn sheep, and mountain lions. It's very concerning to look at a picture from 2005 when you'd be standing in a marsh up to your knees in mud and now it's just dry grass, mm -hmm. said Danny McCamish, senior environmental scientist for California State Parks, Colorado Desert. That confused me, Colorado Desert. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm reading that and I'm thinking it's in Colorado. Right, right. It's here. Yeah. According to the UC Irvine, where is that well, anyway? I've heard about that place. Yeah. yeah. According to a UCI Irvine study, between 1984 and 2017, native vegetation declined 37.5% wow. across an area that stretched from the U.S.-Mexican border to Palm Springs. Wow. The effects were mostly pronounced between July and September when 87% of the surveyed landscape showed a downward trend. Entire vegetative communities have undergone restructuring in response to new temperature extremes. So we got that in the deserts now. And the plants and the animals aren't taking it well. I don't like that, Mike. <clears throat> Molly doesn't like it either. From... Canary media. I think they mean canary in a coal mine. <laughs> they probably do. I, I think that's what it is. It's a new environmental... Uh, well, I don't know if it's new. I just ran across it. Okay. It's new to me. New environmental online magazine, Canary Media. Yeah. California aims for carbon-free transit fleets by 2040, which requires stopping new diesel bus purchases by 2029. But the Antelope Valley... The windswept western edge of the Mojave Desert, home to the cities of Lancaster and Palmdale, made the transition this year. Oh, fantastic. 2022, right now. Yeah. They're already in line with our, uh, our goal, California's goal. Fantastic. The Antelope Valley Transit Authority's 87 electric buses are slashing emissions and making money. There you go. Antelope Valley, yeah. one half mile. Antelope okay. Valley, one quarter mile. <laughs> Antelope Valley, one eighth mile. <laughs> you ever see that? Uh, yeah. Along the see. road there? Yeah. Fire Sign Theater did that too. Okay, that's good. Running fully electric a service 18 years ahead of the state deadline is an amazing achievement that makes the Antelope Valley Transit Authority an example to other transit agencies, said Leanne. Randolph, chairman of the California Air Resources Board. It really shows that you can build a zero emissions fleet and meet the needs of the agency, Randolph continued. Projects like this require a lot of coordination and work and leadership. It's absolutely 100% doable, and it will become routine over time. Absolutely. That's part of uh, L.A. County, and it's something I used to drive up to on a fairly regular Antelope basis. Antelope Valley? Antelope yeah. Valley, Lancaster, and Palmdale. By the way, my favorite um, Palmdale memory, Ooh. I think, I believe, it may have been, it might have been um, Lancaster, the Artichoke Festival. I saw Bob Dylan play the Artichoke Festival back in 2002. 2000. They have an Artichoke Festival down here in Antelope Valley? In Antelope Valley. Get out. They did. They did. They don't. Yeah. Maybe they don't have any more. I don't know. I saw. I remember up in Castroville. You know, up yeah. further in the state, but they actually have one here. Yeah. Huh. It was the alfalfa and ant and uh, artichoke 
Festival. Oh, Alfalfa. Yeah, that would yeah, explain. That it. was yeah. probably the big one. Yeah. yeah. But they got people in with the artichoke. Yeah, they they come bl- for the alfalfa. <laughs> stay, stay for, for the, the artichoke. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, Bobby. Bob Dylan, at the artichoke festival. Yeah. Well, it kind of sounds like Dylan to me. Yeah. That from the Journal of Applied Ecology. An international group of researchers warns that by 2050, 1.4 million street trees will die because of invasive insect infestations. In other words, bugs are going for ash trees. That's what this comes down to. Rather than focus on all urban trees, the researchers honed in on the best tracked trees, the trees planted alongside roads, street trees, as we like to call them. Mm -hmm. These trees shape cities. They give it a personality. Mm-hmm. There are certain sections of town I know because of sycamore trees. Mm-hmm. Sycamore Street, for example. Mm. And some will be more affected than others, more cities affected than others, with less than a quarter of the nation experiencing 95% of the losses. Wow. Milwaukee, Chicago, and New York will be the urban areas most affected in part because of their populations and their abundant ash trees. As you know, Mike, trees are good for our health. They improve air quality, preserve soil and wildlife support during the process of photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Trees take in carbon dioxide and produce the oxygen we breathe. But in many cities, they're struggling. That puts them in the path of the emerald ash borer. I saw that guy at a party with the other day. <laughs> emerald? Emerald ash borer. Yeah, yeah. A half-inch-long beetle that originated in Asia and was first identified in the United States and Michigan in 2002. Their larvae take up residence beneath ash bark, sapping the trees of their nutrients and eventually killing them. Yeah. They spread with firewood and nursery trees, and they will make up 90% of the tree losses, ash alone. Maple and oak, the the other most abundant street trees, are also at risk from pests such as San Jose scale and Japanese beetles. The more street trees are affected, the more urban trees will die too, because they're just spreading this disease. The researchers project an additional 100 million trees could go within the next three decades. And note that increasing urban tree diversity provides resilience against pest infestations. The state of California has lost an incredible amount of trees over the last decade. It's yeah. in the tens of millions of trees. But those are out in the uh, out in the forest. Wild, the, yeah. yeah, just but the be- beetles and other pestilence have had something to do with all of that. Yep. From the Guardian. Microplastic pollution has been detected in human blood for the first time, with scientists finding that tiny particulars in almost 80% of the people tested. Wow. So you probably have plastic in you. I'm sure we do. Oh, yeah. We've Absolutely. been soaking up plastic for a long time. Yeah. Absolutely. I've been chewing on it. <laughs> the discovery shows the particles can travel around the body and may lodge in organs in the body. Yeah. You know, it's not like... Jimmy Smith has plastics in his organ. The impact on health is as yet unknown. But researchers are concerned because microplastics cause damage to human cells in laboratories and air pollution particles are already known to enter the body and cause millions of early deaths a year. 
People were already known to consume the tiny particles via food and water, as well as breathing them in, and they've been found in our poop. I bet. In the blood study, half the samples contained pet plastic, which is commonly used in drink bottles, and a third contained polystyrene, used for packaging food and other products. Yep. A quarter of the blood samples contained polyethylene used to make plastic bags. There's also something that's used in cosmetics. They're called plastic beads. They're little tiny uh -huh. beads of plastic, and that has gotten into the environment in a big way. Yeah. It's in the environment, but is it in us? Well, I would. It's in the water. It gets in yeah. the water. Something when I was at Public Works, that was something that we became kind of a cause celeb, was to try and address this idea of plastic beads in the water supply. Wow. Yeah. Micro beads, they're called. They're in everything. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. And in the interest of accuracy and uh, all the rest of that kind of journalistic stuff, it was the Alfalfa Festival, not the Avocado Festival. So, Nathan, go ahead. Let me have it. Let's switch gears here. Okay. United Nations. Guess where they get most of their food for their, uh, their program for the hungry? I'm going to guess. and I, 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 take a, I, I'm, I am guessing. Uh -huh. all right? I don't know this. I'm going to say Ukraine. You are right, sir. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that the appropriate? Okay, okay yeah, yes. That's the it, only buzzer I had. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sound like I got it right, but... <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Let's try that. You, know, you uh, are right. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, That'll work. Okay, yeah, that's a, it's a cheap game show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from Politico, uh, when this breadbasket of Europe... Ukraine is knocked out of supply chains and aid networks like it is right now, the world is going to feel it. Yeah. The war between Russia and Ukraine, both produce food-producing powerhouses, has already sent prices for cereals like wheat soaring and European governments scrambling to stabilize markets. Europe, Europe can probably weather the immediate storm. Its, father, its farmers are bracing for higher costs of basic inputs like fertilizers, and animal feed, but consumers are unlikely to see empty supermarket shelves. Mm -hmm. They're just going to pay a lot more for it. Yep. Costs will go up, especially for key goods like sunflower oil, because yeah. sunflowers. Yep. But rich Western economies can afford the diversity, can afford to diversify. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean to say. Mm -hmm. So we'll get other kinds of oil. Yeah, we will. The picture is more alarming in the developing world, where countries, especially in the Middle East and North Africa, already stricken by droughts, could face much higher prices for basic foodstuffs like bread. And if people go hungry or can't feed their families, political instability will follow. Yeah. And that's where it gets scary. It does. Yeah. It, it, it really does. I feel like this war is coming down to the war of Russia against Ukraine is coming down to who can withstand the most misery will emerge in some manner of speaking triumphant. And 
by that I mean the Russians are just trying at this point, they, they, I think they're coming to the realization that militarily they're not going to be able to achieve the goal of taking over the country and the capital city of Kiev. So they're intent on just creating such a horror show of misery that the burden upon the rest of the world will bring them to the table to negotiate yeah. something. I'm not sure that'll work, but in the meantime, that's, I believe their strategy is just inflict as much pain and suffering as possible. Okay. I don't know if that's a strategy. Well, I think, I think it's what they're left to with. Still I don't try to, yeah, to I don't, get as much out of this. And when you're in war, yeah. I guess blowing up things is getting something out of it. Right. Well, and, and this feels like the Russians' behavior in Chechnya and Georgia. Yeah. This is similar in that the military objectives were were almost secondary to the idea of inflicting so much pain on the civilian population that they give up. And this is not yeah. a new strategy. The U.S. bombed Tokyo in World War II, knowing it was mostly paper and, and wooden structures in, the, in Tokyo, and it, it caused the civilian population to essentially be devastated. Yeah. And others yeah. have done similar things in war, obviously, dropping nuclear bombs and things. Yeah. Uh, I, but I guess what you were saying is that the reason was to cause as much pain and suffering. The reason is to win the war. Right. Yeah. Well, the strategy the, the, of winning in military... Suffering is secondary. Well, the military strategy appears to have failed. Yeah. They were going to take over Ukraine in less than a week. It's not happened. Yeah. And so they're left with this. And a lot of people are going to go hungry. The repercussions for this war are going right. to be worldwide. Right. From the New York Times, one of the senior Manhattan prosecutors who investigated Donald Trump believed that Trump was guilty of numerous felony violations and that it was a grave failure of justice not to hold him accountable. Who said that? Mark Pomerantz, uh, one of the uh, lead prosecutors there who, who resigned. I don't know if you remember that. We mm -hmm. reported on that. Mm -hmm. This according to a copy of Prosecutor Mark Pomerantz's resignation letter he submitted last month after Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg abruptly stopped pursuing an indictment of Trump. He just uh, did it out of the blue. I remember we were both going, huh? Right, I know. Pomerant 70, a prominent former federal prosecutor and white-collar defense lawyer who came out of retirement to work on the Trump investigation, resigned on the same day as Kerry Doon another senior prosecutor leading the inquiry. Pomerantz's February 23rd letter obtained this week by the New York Times offers a personal account of his decision to resign from his job as special assistant to the New York County District Attorney and for the first time states explicitly his belief that the district office could have convicted Trump. Bragg's decision to stop pursuing an indictment was contrary to the public interest, Pomerantz wrote. The team that has been investigating Mr. Trump harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes. He did. Pomerantz and Dunn planned to charge Trump with falsifying business records, specifically his annual finance statements, a felony in New York State. Bragg's decision not to pursue charges then and the resignations that followed through the fate of the long-term running an investigation into serious doubt. Why? Because Bragg completely shut it down but I, okay i understand that yeah. part but why stop the pursuit of trump well it's why stop it yeah talk to brag about that yeah i guess i thought i was hoping yeah. there was maybe 
some rationale for it. If the prosecutors had secured an indictment of Trump, it would have been the highest profile case ever brought by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and would have made Trump the first American president to face criminal charges. Bragg's predecessor, Cyrus Vance Jr., had decided in his final days in office to move toward an indictment, leaving Trump just weeks away from likely criminal charges. So we got a case that we don't know if they're continuing on a much lower level than they were before in New York right. to try and indict Trump. Right. And it doesn't sound like they're going to uh, be successful at it. I understand that the political dynamics of an, of an investigation and indictment of a former president are pretty serious stuff, not to be taken lightly. But he has these charges have been, been swirling around him for Decades and decades. It, it's not as if this is new behavior or a, somehow a mistake or anything else. They don't do it. And I, I guess the big question is, what makes him above the law? Why is it he's... And this is before he was president and after he was president. Yeah. Why is it that he manages to escape what is he's obviously, in my mind, obviously guilty of? Well, some people take the opposite tact on this and say they don't have the, enough of evidence to really lock him up. Right. They have enough evidence to make it really difficult for him, but they don't have enough to put him behind bars or, mm -hmm. or to fine him or whatever it would take. Right. And eventually he would be innocent of these charges, which would empower his campaign. All right. Well, he's, that might have been I don't think Bragg's. that even matters. He's going to say these things no matter what happens. He's going to say he was always vindicated when he really wasn't. But I mean, let's not forget Richard. It wouldn't matter if, if New York took him to court and he won. He I think it would be a big have a no, big impact. No, as he, 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 he that would give even he would say it anyway. Sure, but if if but if, if if the New York Times were saying it, well, I can't Trump, believe Trump wins in New York. Then that would be a uh, right a boost for him. I have a hard time believing that a career public official prosecutor would that would factor into the calculation. You either have a case or you don't. And again, after decades of of. So you Obvious. don't think there's no there, there's any politics? I think it's a slam dunk. I think it ha has a lot to do with the amount of what's a slam dunk? The, his his conviction. I I think there are so many things. He's already been convicted in New York. We're talking about New York. I, here. I know. Yeah. Apparently, that's a that's a whole other universe into this. Do you think he's not committed crimes in New York? Well, that's not the point. I think a lot of people have committed crimes and not face any consequences. I think he's... And I think that yeah, okay. Trump's included in that group. I, I, think, I think that maybe okay. Bragg made a decision that it wasn't worth pursuing this because the evidence wasn't strong enough, even though it seems like Trump's guilty. Again, it seems like Trump's guilty. Right. I, when, have, I have not heard anyone say, Rico, and, if, and he is a walking, talking Rico indictment. And they, one of the reasons why RICO came into existence, one of the reasons why it was an effective tool, was because it is the, it is the convergence of a criminal enterprise. While it's a difficult case to prosecute, I, I just think he's guilty. Okay. I, I mean, I, know, I, 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 I mean, but you're, I, I think he's guilty too. I'm saying I'm not arguing. I that just Trump's how much, not guilty. Yeah. I'm arguing that maybe Bragg didn't feel comfortable going fully into this because eventually it would be a losing cause. Okay. From the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, the United States Supreme Court reversed the Wisconsin Supreme Court's judgment regarding legislative maps backed by Governor Tony Evers. The case was remanded for further proceedings. It'll come up again 
the redistricting maps that were blocked created an additional majority black district in Wisconsin as part of its compliance with the Voting Rights Act. Mm -hmm. The conservative court argued that the move it was was in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, which prohibits any state from denying to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, which makes no sense at all, because what about the black folk who had, under the Voting Rights Act, uh, apparently a uh, case to be made that they needed another district there? The 7-2 ruling leaves uncertain what maps will be used for the fall elections for the state and the assembly in Wisconsin. The Wisconsin High Court, will, High Court will now have to revisit the case to decide where to put the lines. Meanwhile, there's an election going on. That's right. The U.S. Supreme Court's ruling comes less than a month before candidates take out papers to gather signatures to get on the ballot, and they can't file the paperwork without knowing what their district what is. What district will be, yeah. If you're a fan of states' rights, you'll be interested to note that the U.S. Supreme Court overruled the Wisconsin State Supreme Court decision that was a result of an agreement between Democratic State Governor Tony Evers and the Republican majorities in the state legislature to abide by the state Supreme Court's opinion. And it was a Republican judge on that state court who cast the deciding vote in favor of State Governor Evers' map. So it's all about states' rights here. A state matter settled at state level, just like all those partisan gerrymanders that the Supreme Court decided were none of their business. So they, a while back, about a month or two ago, they, they blew right past a lot of gerrymanders, but took on this one. The ones before includes those gerrymandered maps that produced Wisconsin's legislative majorities in the first place. Right. Where the majority of the yeah. state is voting Democratic, but there's yeah the majority of the of this of the state offices are held by Republicans. So our, our Supreme Court is not consistent. No, it's not. This yeah. happens to be a very very important swing state. Yeah, on the electoral map. And it's like every decision they make is a Bush versus Gore decision. Right. This is, it only applies to, to this to the one particular case. Yeah. Which isn't a precedent at all. Which is really bad news for. For law in this country. Well, yeah. I, I think, th- I'm not going to say every member of the Supreme Court is a Republican operative. They're not. Obviously, there's three that are. Clarence certain, Thomas. But I would say that, yeah, Thomas. And his wife. I would also say Gorsuch and Alito are, yeah. are among the most partisan of, uh, of Supreme Court justices. What about Brett? I like beer. Um, uh, yeah. he pr- Well, he started out his career in politics kicked off during the Bush v. Gore disputed election in yeah. Florida. He was part of Tom DeLay's office and and what was it called? The Penny Loafer Rebellion when they stood out in front of the yeah. uh, the uh, Registrar of Voters office and were screaming. Brooks and, Brothers. Brooks Brothers? Okay. Penny Brooks, Loafer Rebellion. Penny, uh, whatever it was. Brooks, Brooks Brothers Re- <laughs> uh, uh, d- demonstration. The Polo Shirt Rebellion. <laughs> that's right. The yeah. golf shirt, Polo Shirt. Yeah. So uh, so they uh, they he, that's how he cut his teeth. That's where he got his, that's where he began to become part of this kind of conveyor belt of people moving into the judiciary from part, very partisan situations. From the Minneapolis Star Tribune, energy crews ruptured three groundwater aquifers while building the 340-mile Line 3 replacement pipeline across northern Minnesota last year, 
Combined, the punctures led to nearly 300 million gallons of groundwater flowing to the surface, with the most serious breach occurring near the Fond du Lac Band of, Superior, of Lake Superior, Chippewa Reservation. That rupture alone discharged more than 200 million gallons of groundwater, and it continues to flow out. Native peoples have led the opposition to Enbridge Number 3, arguing that the pipeline and the bitumen, the asphalt, the sludge, it will carry are a threat to some of the, country, uh, the country's most pristine wilderness along the southern shores of Lake Superior. Now that land is being flooded. <coughs> Did you ever lick a toad? I have not licked a toad. Hmm. hmm. From the New York Times. Never, huh? Never licked a toad. Never took any part in toad licking. Nope. Never had any real interest. From the New York Times, one of the unintended consequences of the psychedelic resurgent, surgeons, people ingesting psychedelics, mm -hmm. is that the Sonoran desert toad is at risk of population collapse. Uh, toad secretes a poison, 5-MeO-DMT, that can be dried into crystals and smoked in a pipe, producing an intense experience. The narcotic has long been ingested by licking the poisonous toad, but it is now more commonly consumed as a smokable dust. Riding the wave of great, greater mainstream acceptance of psychedelics for treating mental disorders and addiction, a fast-growing retreat industry is touting the potential of the toad's secretions. <laughs> People pay anywhere from $250 for a ceremony in the East Texas woods to $8,500 for a luxury beachfront setting in Tulum, Mexico to uh, get high. But in a sign of the unintended consequences of the psychedelic resurgence, scientists are warning that r the rush to milk toads for their psychedelic juice involves poaching, over-harvesting, and illegal trafficking in arid expanses straddling the border with Mexico, and that could trigger a collapse in Sonoran desert toad populations. It will. Because because it sounds like organized crime is now a big part of this. It does? Yeah. We said trafficking. I mean, that has to be an organized crime. So these sounds like people that are serious. I mean, they're, they're religions yeah. based around this. I mean, they're organized religions, yeah. organized crime. Same thing. Anyway, there are not enough frogs to support the rising demand of uh, DMT milking. During hunting, toads are often jammed into plastic bags by the hundreds, dislocated from their habitats, and overexpressed of their fluids. They squeeze too much out of them. Yeah. Toad medicine apostles are now split between those who support using synthetic versions that are easy to produce and purists who say they will never stop using pure toad juice. Jesus. Authorities in New Mexico list a Sodoran desert toad as threatens because they can get you high. And that's what happened to the that's, toads. Yeah. We, we, you know, the, the, the show began with the desert story. Uh-huh. And it seems to be dovetailing near the end of our broadcast with another story about the desert. Uh-huh. I like that. I like the symmetry that. of that. I, I think that's... Deserts to deserts. Desert to desert. From sea to shining sea. And finally, from the advocate. Yeah. A dog that was given up by its owners because they said it was gay <laughs> now has a new home. You hear that, Mahler? Yeah. North Carolina's Steve Nichols and his longtime partner John adopted Fezco after hearing the story about Fezco getting abandoned by his former humans because they thought Fezco was gay. The couple renamed Fezco Oscar 
after the queer Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde. Oscar's previous owners had surrendered him after he humped another male dog. <laughs> the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals website states that this behavior is pretty normal. Mounting, thrusting, and masturbation are normal behaviors exhibited by most dogs. Yeah, how well we know. They mount and thrust against other animals, people, and objects, such as wadded up blankets, dog beds, and toys. They do that stuff. Sometimes dogs just rub against people or objects, or they lick themselves. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.